In this week's episode, we take an adventure through time, a trip into the afterlife, and a romp through a murder mystery party. Also, chips ahoy! It's all happening now on Cover B. Hey everybody, welcome back to Cover B. Alright T, let's get this over with. I've got a galaxy to save. <laughs> the Reapers are incoming. I have to prove to the council that they are coming. And they don't believe me, gosh darn it. Okay, so for those of you who aren't epic nerds like him, uh, the Mass Effect Legendary Edition just <laughs> released, and he is am, a one-track mind. I am using up valuable Mass Effect time right now. <laughs> he is he's a little hyper-focused on uh, uh, Mass Effect. It's true, but happy to be here. That's right. and This is my favorite there's... podcast on the Citadel. Stop it. You don't... I mean, I'm sure the, like, diagram overlap of Mass Effect fans and comic fans is surprisingly large, but it's not the entirety of it. Listen, man, someone out there had a nice giggle just now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about some comics. First yeah. up, uh, everyone on the chip train. Choo-choo! Where's my, where are my chips ahoys at? Yo, yo! Um... <laughs> First up, we're talking about Justice League Last Ride. This is a Justice League miniseries, I believe, that's going to be written by Chip Zdarsky, our, our best friend. Um, it is a interesting look at the Justice League. It's an Elseworlds story without being so distinctly Elseworlds. Like, it still feels very much like the original world, but it paints a very bleak world where... Uh, subtle things have occurred well not subtle like big things have occurred but subtle personality trait tweaks have forced the justice league against one another to some degree not like against in terms of like a civil war kind of thing but more just like a personal disagreement yeah it's not injustice it's more like mean girls yeah they're just <laughs> not really friends not really cool with each other namely batman and superman it's a fairly straightforward Justice League story, uh, but like I said, is kind of set in that scope of what would happen if the Dark Knight and the Man of Steel no longer trusted each other uh, at a personal level. T, what did you think? One of the things that I really, really appreciate about Chip Starsky's writing is that he takes characters that have very established behaviors and personalities and and isms if you would and tweaks them to such a degree that they're they're instantly from two-dimensional characters to three-dimensional characters um this is something that i've talked about a lot in like daredevil how whether it's daredevil himself mm -hmm. or uh kingpin or spider-man mm -hmm. having accidentally killed someone in europe not a long time ago you know he he takes these behaviors and mannerisms that these characters have he kind of looks at their histories and their trauma and emphasizes why they do these things and then shows you the other side and how not everyone is the, you know, not everyone is exactly as you expect them to be. Not everything is as it seems. Um, one of the things I like about this one is that there's a moment where Superman rage quits a conversation with Batman. Yeah. Um, he full on like, you know, throws a little Man of Steel tantrum. A mantrum, if you would. <laughs> and 
it's cool because you always think of Superman as being like so clean cut and like he would never throw a controller during a video game. He'd just turn off the system like but that's not true. Like Superman's under a ton of pressure. Mm -hmm. He's constantly trying to do the right thing. And sometimes doing the right thing is the hardest thing to do. So it takes a huge toll on someone's body, someone's psyche, even if you're the man of steel. And so seeing like this very humanized behavior, it's something that Bendis has been, that had Bendis had brought to Superman, in my opinion, recently, very much humanizing him and making, giving him, you know, mental and you know insecurities and and having him struggle like a human would struggle mm-hmm. um and this just kind of you know re-highlights that and i i think that's really really cool i love that that's being done yeah i this is a very impressive piece of superhero writing and i i what i love about it is that it's impressive for its subtlety yeah like i mentioned it's you know Batman and Superman being at odds with one another has never really been a new thing. It happens fairly frequently in the main comics. There's plenty of Elseworlds titles that have the two heroes going up against each other. There's a whole friggin' movie that has the two superheroes going up against each other. It's not uncommon to happen in the comics or in the storytelling of these two characters. What I love that Chip has done here is as i mentioned earlier he's kind of subtly tweaked various personality aspects of the two characters and we see other characters in you know we see wonder woman and there seems to be some tweakage going on there we see the green lanterns Mm -hmm. and there's other sort of story details that he's done to create kind of a unique world that this is existing in um effectively we are introduced to a justice league that at some point fairly recently dealt with some sort of major event a crisis uh, yeah a crisis level event wherein batman made it took on a leadership role and made a decision that resulted in the death of uh martian manhunter and potentially others there's other justice league members we haven't seen and there seems to be some sort of dark veil kind of hanging over the team as to the extent where they are eventually approached by Hal, Jordan, uh, John Stewart, and other Green Lanterns to, and Hal positions this idea of making Earth, or rather the moon of Earth, the new OA, so the new headquarters of the Green Lanterns. Right. Uh, the Justice League members, particularly Wonder Woman, and I think to an extent Flash, because he kind of just stays silent for this, see that as a chance for the Earth to no longer need the justice league right so disbanding the justice league is an option that's on the table kind of out of just like look we've run our course you know yeah and it's it's that's the thing about this book is that everything is handled in such a just like look it's done it's not bombastic it's not with a bang everything's with a whimper in this book it's just like batman and superman are done because Things came between them and they can't do it anymore. Wonder Woman seems kind of done with the Justice League because she's just kind of tired of it. You know, it's kind of that it's that same concept of aftermath that we've been seeing in like the MCU TV shows Mm. and stuff. Like Mm -hmm. after you have this big event, stuff keeps happening. It's just it's not, you know, earth shattering fights and and huge star battles and things anymore. Now it's just like, you know. 
friendship politics and yeah. like and that's the, the that's weird stuff that happens in the in-between the power of starting the story in media res is that we get to see we're we're knee deep in the ripples and we're gonna hopefully uncover kind of what happened to start these ripples but um i mean the first book itself the this story itself potentially has room for a lot of action and a lot of chaos lobos involved to some degree but the first book is very much just Batman and Superman kind of being upset with one another. It, this seems like it's going to be a story more about the humanity of the heroes and less about the big action and the big punches and the big flying around and explosions and lasers. It seems like it's going to be more about like, again, those subtle personality shifts, like, like T mentioned, Superman's really pushed to the brink. So like, what if Superman was slightly less capable of, swallowing all the pressure that's constantly surrounding him exactly um you know batman is going like full isolationist so what if batman was a little bit less capable of breaking down his wall that he puts up between him and other people and it's those like slight it's literally taking like a slider it's like a you know character creation in a game I don't know, like Mass Effect or something. Um, <laughs> where, you know, you have these little sliders and it's like Superman's anxieties and it's at like a 50 and Chip just goes 55. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like really subtle changes. They're not completely different characters. It's not like something like Injustice where we see a Superman who's just like pushed to the brink right. and he's like ruling with an iron fist and like all this stuff. Uh it's literally just like a slight change. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, boop. And then what happens from there? And I just think that's like in a world of, you know, pretty much every month we're having Elseworlds titles and <laughs> yeah. what ifs and stuff like that. Uh, and Chip himself has done various, uh, particularly at Marvel, various uh, like what if kind of stories. Um. But this one's just super subtle. And yeah. I, I love the subtlety of it. I it's, love it's very cool. how it's like easy enough to comprehend what's happening um, and like what the differences between the characters are. But they're not that significantly different no. where it's like a big extreme kind of shift of the world. It doesn't take much for you to immediately understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really, really cool. Yeah. Very cool book. Very, very cool read. I'm excited to see what he does with this overall. Uh, moving on, we've got a book called Silver City, number one. Uh, Silver City focuses around a young woman named Rue, uh, who is involved in some sort of horrific tragedy, uh, which opens the book. Uh, her and a few hundred other people uh, all end up at, effectively, the afterlife at the same time. They're in a room that looks much like a warehouse, and they're being processed to enter into the Silver City. Uh, so we get to see this very unique imagining of the afterlife unfold uh, that paints the afterlife mostly the same as our world to some degree, uh, just with more gothic architecture and you're not able to die. Um, and Rue gets kind of sucked into this world as she, you know, is introduced to it. She makes some friends. She learns some lore around uh, some sort of like mythical heroic person that uh some people revere in the silver city 
and she's you know beginning to uncover what was where she was and what she was dealing with before this whole thing happened. The first book, much like many of Aftershock's books, is a lot of setup. Um, it introduces you to a lot of the ideas and doesn't really start to unravel too much of the mystery. But there's enough mystery and ideas there to really like drive the story forward. T, what did you think? So, I really, really liked this book. Um, the world building had me very much enthralled. I love the concept. I love the idea of like, <clears throat> like levels mm -hmm. of afterlife. Mm -hmm. That there's, you know, you don't necessarily go to like pearly gates or anything like that. It's like you kind of end up somewhere and it's not entirely unlike earth. It's just sort of yep. different. And I think that was really, really cool. I like the characters that have been introduced. I liked the concept of this, this, uh, you know, entity or whomever that is mm -hmm. revered, you know, to some extent, I thought all of those things were really cool. There's one thing that I do need to note. I don't want to spoil anything, but there toward the end of the book, there's one bit of character development that's made. And I will admit, I did find myself going, because I just don't know. I'm I'm sure it'll be relevant. I'm sure it's going to be an important piece of character development. I'm sure it's going to build the story beautifully. But it kind of made it just another one of those stories mm. for me. And I was really excited because I thought, you know, this is going to be about the world and about her exploring it and all of those things. But now there's an element introduced of like, the chosen one or yeah. the capable yeah. one. And I just, I, I don't know that that's what I wanted from this. I kind of wanted more of the world. I wanted more of the existence and, and the, the lore and the things like that. And I'm, I'm a little nervous that this is going to be another one of those that the main character is the most important part, not everything around it. Mm -hmm. So that's, admittedly a little disheartening for me but i still think the entirety of the book was very very cool and i definitely would recommend it yeah i i agree wholeheartedly with what you're saying i think i think i like the character i like the world that's being built um this is written by olivia quartaro briggs uh i think she's doing a wonderful job with this it's very very creative there's some really neat stuff in the back where they lay out that she was originally writing this as a novel and she like hand wrote a lot of it. Mm -hmm. So they show like the journal pages and stuff. And I, th I thought that was really nice. Like you can tell that, uh, that the author really put a lot of time and energy in it, giving us a unique world and coming up with unique characters. Agreed. Um, you know, it feels like this is going to have a lot of love to it. And there's a lot of characters that I want to know more about. You know, there's a lot of mysteries that are open. I do agree. I think I kind of went into this being excited um, that this might be a story about just a semi-normal person kind of beating the odds to get through. Yep. Uh, I feel like, especially in comic books, uh, there is not enough people willing to tell those kind of stories. Agreed. I, I think there's not enough people that are willing to tell stories about the people that aren't necessarily the ones putting on the capes and doing the magic and exactly. stuff like that. Like, exactly. I think there is room out there for stories that are about just some Joe Schmo in an interesting situation and maybe even surrounded by those kind of people. 
and they are being able to be heroic in spite of not being these chosen ones or these super special people. Um, they're able to uncover mysteries and they'll, they're able to overcome the odds on their own sort of like reasonable skills or abilities themselves I, without having to be like you're some sort of magical destined person exactly you know? i fully agree i feel like some of my favorite books like in dc and marvel and stuff is when you have the side characters at the front mm -hmm. like i love the lois lane run when it's literally just her being a journalist doing journalist stuff yeah and superman keeps coming like do you need my help and she's like no go away yeah <laughs> like I love those instances because, frankly, they're a lot more relatable. It's a lot easier to relate to someone when they're just like you. Yeah. Um, you know, not every story needs to necessarily focus on a chosen one or somebody that's, like, proven themselves and, like, super successful and super, like, battle-hardened. You know, somebody like maybe a Commander Shepard from Mass Effect. Um <sighs> You know, it doesn't always have to be those kind of people, you know? Exactly. I mean, if you ask anyone, I'm ignoring your extra you just, Mass yeah. Effect. You did a really good job just kind of glazing over that one. Yeah. I'm proud of that. It's kind of like if you ask anyone who their favorite Harry Potter character is. I was going to say, yeah. Nobody's going to say Harry. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say, like, you know, uh, everyone talks about and, you know, I know Harry <laughs> Potter is controversial to talk about right now, but this is a really good example um, and we won't get into it because I have a lot of opinions. Um, Same. But in Harry Potter, you know, the Neville saga yeah. is incredible. And there's it's spun into tons of fan theories. And it was just a small bit of what happened with Neville and how he, you know, suddenly became this like heroic figure, even though he was like the doofy like, oh, look, he's getting knocked out by the plant things and like oh look he's a doofus yeah you know exactly um yeah it's like watching that and seeing that and seeing him uh and that was in the books too right yep. yeah so yeah. like seeing reading that as well like people attached to that because it was a character being heroic in spite of himself yes in spite of the world telling him he can't be heroic you know, like, oh, look, he's, you know, the thing that turns into the thing you're afraid of. He's having a hard time. And, oh, look, haha, he's trying to make a Patronus and it's not working for him. That's hilarious. Look at that doofus. And then he goes on to be a hero because of the things he learned and the struggles he went up, like went through throughout the duration of the, the books and movies. Yep, exactly. Um, Whereas you've got somebody like Harry who's destined to do stuff and just is naturally going to have people gravitate to help him because of that destiny. Yeah. And while sure, it's cool watching his saga and stuff, the people like you said in his wings have more development as they experience the world having gravitated into his orbit. And then there's other people throughout the world like uh, uh, Ron's mom being yeah. like, get away from my daughter, you bitch. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's a huge heroic moment because it's not somebody we expect to have this like 
big shining moment yeah, exactly because she's not the one that's constantly in the spotlight or the one destined to do these fantastic right. things it's almost more it it's more interesting when you see the people who aren't destined for greatness achieve greatness mm-hmm. because it's not it's not obvious it's not easy it's not expected it's it means they worked for it it takes work and it takes you know it either takes work or it takes an extreme moment of selflessness yeah. You know what I mean? And that's that's impressive. Yeah. If you're told, you know, you know, shout shout out to Destiny New York, which is all about this. And hey, you should check out our interview with Pat Shan. <laughs> uh, you can find it at coverbepodcast.com. Very happy. Thank you, Pat, for doing that. Uh, you know, you've got a world where everyone's destined to do shit. Yeah. And you see these people just be fully like arrogant and absorbed in their like, yeah, you know, I'm destined to take out a great evil. And when they see that great evil, you know, they're probably like, I'm destined to do this. <laughs> Hell yeah. You know, th- there's that great moment in the Harry Potter movies where Harry Potter's like, I'm the chosen one. And Hermione's like, bitch, you know? And, <laughs> I love that. I love yeah. that. He's like, it's the only time you see Harry really like kind of play with the cockiness yeah. of being the chosen one. He's like, well, because I'm the chosen one. And she just whaps the crap out of it. And to the merit, I can't speak too much on the books because I haven't read them in a very long time and I didn't read all of them. But to the merit of the directors of the films and Daniel Radcliffe, they do a really good job making Harry a non-arrogant, full of his destiny kind of character. Right. But that's a very easy thing to become. Yeah. You know what I mean? You see that a lot in like, look at Danny Rand. He's the Iron Fist and he's like, hell yeah, I'm the Iron Fist. (laughs) You know, of course I'm the Iron Fist. Look at me. I'm awesome. I'm great. You know, oh, you're evil? Well, guess what? I'm the Iron Fist. I've already won, you know? Deal with it. And that sort of, like, self-referential narrative armor can really bring a character down. And, I mean, even on ours, even if the character doesn't reflect on it, if the story starts to build towards, like, look, this person's some sort of super special something, you know, as, as readers and consumers of narratives through movies and TV and anime and manga and comics and books and video games and all kinds of sort of things that follow similar patterns, you know, when somebody's like, okay, so like we're watching Naruto right now. Yep. Right. Like if I didn't know Boruto existed, we're watching Naruto Shippuden right now. For those who don't know, Naruto Shippuden is the second Naruto series boruto is the third series where naruto is an adult and it follows his kid anyway if i didn't know boruto existed i wouldn't know naruto survives naruto shippuden right i would assume he's going to survive most of the middle so if i know i have this many episodes like 500 episodes and i'm like on 200 i know he's not gonna die fighting whoever he's fighting right but will he die at the end I don't know. So that's really the only question mark we have as readers once it's established that this person is some sort of prophetic thing or some sort of special thing. Yep. We're no longer questioning like, you know, is this main character going to die? And then the story is going to flip over to one of the other characters, which does happen in some media. Some authors take that journey. Um, We're kind of just like, okay, they're going to get to the end. And they'll either win and live or they'll win and die. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. You know? Exactly. So, yeah. That was the big super long rant about, (laughs) uh, you know, the difference between telling a story about a normal person and telling a story about someone who's 
prophecy to save the galaxy um, from the Reapers. And... <laughs> and... Uh, I'm but, not giving in to you. I know. I'm really... I'm trying to push your buttons and it's not working. Uh, <laughs> Silver City, number one, though. Very, very cool book. Uh, it's got vibes of Constantine. It's got vibes of kind of that in general like sandman ish like it's got yeah. a lot of like the darker magical dc stuff kind of vibes and i just i really dig it yeah it yeah. was pretty dang cool very very cool uh next up from image comics we've got time before time uh this was written by declan shalvey and hold on let me grab my phone because i can't read from a distance and rory mcconville with art by joe palmer uh, this story follows a gentleman who is involved in some sort of indentured servitude with a company whose job effectively it is to hide people, hide clients at various points in time. Mm -hmm. So the understanding of the company is that somebody comes to the company and says, hey, my debtors are really breathing down my neck. I'm going to give you money to hide me in 1965. Right. And... They get matched up with one of these agents. The agent grabs a pod, takes them back in time, says, hey, here's your new digs. You know, it's 1983. This is where you live now. This is your identities. Deal with it. No, there's no Wi-Fi. Sorry. And that's what he does. He's tired of it. It's an. It seems to be an endless loop of the company coming up with reasons that he hasn't paid off whatever debt it is that he owes them in order to force him to work there. The company itself is not doing very well. And the higher ups uh, at this company are breathing down the neck of the company heads. Uh, and this gentleman and his friend are determined to steal a pod and escape into some sort of time and leave this job forever. T, what do you think? So, I thought this book was really, really, really cool. I thought the world was built very effortlessly. Um, I'm fully immersed. Um, I like the characters. I like the fudge science. I feel yeah. like they didn't get... Sometimes when you play with fudge science, you try to get too technical and try to explain too much. And they yeah. don't do that. Like We don't have like crystals or... like special tech or you hit this means this you gotta, and no flux yeah. capacitor yeah, none yeah. of that nonsense it's just like there are pods they go back in time they go upward in time that's how they work and you're like great i got it i'm good um <laughs> i appreciate a like limited fudge science explanation because sometimes it's a lot easier to suspend your disbelief in circumstances like that you mean back to the future was all bullshit <laughs> yes <laughs> um we so, watched we watched Endgame recently, and that was one of my favorite lines. We did; it was good. Um, so, I, I I really enjoy how this is set up. The only thing that I thought was kind of interesting is that this is totally not a number one. This is totally a prequel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like I get what, you're what we read in this issue is going this to is have basically nothing yeah. to do with anything moving forward in this book. Um. The last page, we get introduced to an entirely new character that we know absolutely nothing about. What happens to them on the last page sets up an entirely new journey that has nothing to do with anything that's gone on. Um, it's it's like it's like, hey, here's how we got to this point, and then everything moving forward from two and on is going to be like much slower, 
much more like adventurized, much more like a a a, a traditional story trajectory. Because yeah. like I feel like this book itself, in some regards, goes through like years of content. Yeah. Setting up to this point that's then going to crawl in minutes again. Yeah. And so it's like. It's just interesting because you don't always, like, a lot of time you'll get a prequel book, you know? You'll get, like, an initial, like, setup book mm-hmm. for stories like this. But this one is just like, here's your prequel. We'll figure out what happens next in the next issue. <laughs> yeah. it. Uh, no, I agree with that entirely. I will be perfectly honest. I was somewhat bored of this book <laughs> about halfway through. Really? I, I, the beginning, I was just, I mean, time travel is something that, has been done people working for time travel organizations that you know take advantage of time travel to some way has been done people wanting to steal time travel technology to escape through time has been done like it it was all just kind of like okay i get it i get the concept that's fine yeah you know these two guys are gonna go have a uproarious jaunt through time a la chrononauts and various other books i can think of bill and (laughs) Bill and Ted. Yeah, these two guys are going to go have an extraordinary, a bogus journey. Um, and I was like, okay, whatever. You know, like, it's fine. And then it gets to a point with mild spoilers, but I'm not going to spoil too much, where the friend that the main character is working with gets kidnapped. He's on a mission and he gets captured by locals in the year like 3000 something. And at that point, this book takes an extreme sharp left turn left turn very much and just goes nuts (laughs) from there on to you know the conditions of his friend's return to the new character to our main character's plans like everything just goes bananas after that point and now i'm invested now i'm really interested that page that you're talking about i actively was reading it and speaking out the oh no oh oh no oh no i don't (laughs) I don't vocally emote much while I'm reading. Um, And it's always a big deal when a book actually makes me do that. For instance, we talked about Aster of Pan on the show. I was like literally like, yeah, at points in that book. I do. I most of the time I just silently read. I'm listening to music like lo-fi music and I'm just chilling and I'm reading. Exactly. Uh, I got to I flipped the page to one particular reveal on that part that we're talking about. And I was just like, oh, Oh God! I know. And I was just like sad. I know. About it. I yeah. read a I read a panel and I was like, oh no! And I knew what was coming. And I was like, oh oh no! Yeah. <laughs> and so it, it takes a it takes a very sharp turn and becomes a really different story very fast. Yes. It and I I whether that was intentional on the authors or uh, a happy accident. <laughs> Uh, either way, that's a really cool thing because it does kind of lure you into this false sense of security that like this is going to be a time travel story you've heard before. Two bros stealing a time machine, having a jaunty jaunt through time. Oh, no, stuff's gone wrong. Things are chaotic. Ah, And then it's just like, no, it's not that. It's not suddenly that it's just really friggin not that. And you're like, wow. Okay. All right. I cool. wasn't ready for that, but cool. <laughs> and so it, it gets you excited and it, it kind of like completely dishevels you from everything that you thought was going to happen. And yeah. it's just, it's, it's cool. 
So I'm excited to see where this one goes. It might, who knows, it might turn out to just be another like jaunt through time. Oh no, time travel, scary. Whoa, dinosaurs. Um, but I hope not. I I think they have enough of an uh, it felt self aware enough in that shift. Yeah. That I think they're gonna try to do some creative stuff. So I have high hopes. I think this one's gonna be a cool one to read. I agree. Uh, last up is um, a new one from Dark Horse called House of Lost Horizons, a Sarah Jewel mystery. Um, I, okay, so Dark Horse has been putting out a lot of these kind of like smaller, um, more historically fiction type feels. We've done Lady Baltimore, which I've talked about and really, really enjoyed. Um, this one is, one of the things I think that's so fun about it is that it's basically a dinner movie or dinner murder mystery event mm-hmm. that you get to watch people have. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. So the story takes place in that um, a woman um, who was married to a wealthy man, her husband died. So she is going to have an auction for all of these like occult items that her husband has collected over the years, because when he passed, he left some debt. Um, and this takes place in the 1920s. So she's going to have an auction. She has a bunch of people at her house in this remote island castle. um, And she calls two of her friends to, or her best friend and her best friend's partner, Mm -hmm. which they handle the partner in such a cool way. I'll talk about that in a second. Um, But her best friend, who's like an occult specialist, and her partner to come and help do the appraisal. But as her friend our main character and her partner arrive, um, it's been discovered that the lawyer who was helping with all of the arrangements and all of those things was murdered in the night. Oh, no. Um, And being an occult specialist and having death and dismay and mystery not be her first rodeo, um, our main character is immediately on the case investigating, talking to the guests that are already there for the auction, et cetera, et cetera. Um, What I love about this is that it's very time appropriate. Everything Mm -hmm. feels very organic, like it's supposed to. Like, you know, people behave the way they would in the 20s. People speak the way they would. It it feels very organic. But at the same time, it also feels progressive Mm -hmm. as well. So our, our... our main character shows up with her black female partner who assists her. And it's never said what exactly their relationship is. It's never said anything, but they just are. No one questions it. No one argues it. There's no hostility. There's nothing. It just, it is. They could be a couple. They could be friends. They could be business associates, but any way you tape it, it's totally fine. And I'm like, yes, (laughs) good. Good. That's exactly how it should be portrayed. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. It's just you just don't question it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it it's so well done. Um the story is very fun. It very much follows a bit of the Scooby-Doo style like we're going to talk to these people and we catch them in awkward conversations and <laughs> we see yeah. him trying to break into the safe and <gasps> defend himself and Yeah. Oh no, there's been another murder. And why does the corpse look like that? Um it's it's so fun because it literally feels like you're watching 
people have a like flapper murder mystery dinner party. Yeah, if, it sounds like like an Agatha Christie kind of <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's so fun because the like lead interrogation this is now this like woman and her wonderful partner and they're just like getting things done and they're not taking any sass and it I just love how so many of these books now, both from Dark Horse and from Titan, um, the recent, like, the girl who electrified Tesla from Titan um, came out not too long ago. These historical fiction books are like, okay, look, everybody's kind of sick of the, like, standard, you know, investigating P.I. style person. Like, we're all kind of over the Sherlock Holmes. It's all been done. We're going to bring in some of these really cool, talented ladies that are just going to happen. Like, things they're going to make things go. So you've got this one, and you've got Lady Baltimore, and you've got the girl who electrified Tesla, and there was uh, Atlet, uh, uh, Adler. Adler was a great one. And it was a company of four women who were, like, f- basically doing mummy-esque like adventures and and fighting cults and stuff. And it's just Mm -hmm. this trend right now in comics with this like weird, specific historical fiction mystery style is like, it's what we've all earned. I feel like we have deserved after so many years of the cocky, condescending, male investigator we're finally getting the like women who are solving with less deus ex mahina and more well i saw that guy do this and so he's probably guilty (laughs) (laughs) it's just really nice to see the transition and the trend that's happening and i am i am totally here for it this one is super fun it's super cute it's it's not like a hard read it's not an overly like complicated read but it's super fun and and i'm i don't know i'm just really loving this stuff that's been coming out lately awesome yeah yeah it's nice to have some good female protagonists you know and, and like these yeah. or you know you've got like captain marvel over at uh marvel you've got like wonder woman over at dc you've got like female commander shepherd uh you, you can't know. see me but my eyes are as squinted <laughs> as they could possibly be without being closed i realized i forgot to make a mass effect reference on the last book so i had to make sure i made one on this one. <laughs> it, it it i'll tell you too this one passes the bechdel test oh nice it's, sick it's so it's just it's so nice you guys <laughs> It's so nice for representation. Thank you. <laughs> and this is a Mike Mignola piece. It right? is. Yeah, yeah. It is. Uh, he, I have become a Mignola stan. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know when it happened. I don't know what happened. I feel like I turned around and I was like, shit, I'm reading everything. <laughs> All right. So what would the Mike Mignola fan club be? Steel Mignolias. Oh, that's adorable. <laughs> Steel Mignolas. Yeah. Steel Mignolas. There it is. Yeah, there we go. There it is. That's our Perfect. that's our Mike Mignola fan club. Name. I'm I'm so in. I think it's fantastic. But sign me up. I'm I'm here to help run the club. I'm a big fan. That's gonna do it for us, folks. Yeah, that's gonna be uh, it. thank you for joining us. I hope everybody has a great weekend, whatever it is you choose to do with your weekend. Yes. Go for a walk visit family visit friends if you've 
been vaccinated and have achieved full inoculation, uh, save the galaxy from an ancient uh, sentient machine race. For um, the love of get something all nice. that is holy. Get, get something nice for yourself for dinner. Maybe like order some, some dinner. Uh, you know, whatever it is you choose to do. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. And if you want more Cover B uh, that talks less about Mass Effect, you can find other episodes uh, <laughs> on CoverBpodcast.com. You can also find us on social media. Um, we are on the book face. We are on the tweets. Um, we are on the tack tax. Uh, and we are on the Instapix. Um, the graham crackers, dude. Come on. The graham crackers. Yeah. Is this Instagram? Oh. Ugh. Your brain's so focused on Mass Effect, you can't even see a good pun. <laughs> I can't even make a good pun. <laughs> <laughs> well, my goal with that. But never mind. I won't explain the joke. <laughs> a good joke doesn't need to be explained. <laughs> Uh, check us out for more episodes coming up too we've got more stuff coming up on Wednesdays uh, we're going to try to do more Wednesday content and I mentioned it kind of in passing humorously uh, everyone laughed so in case your sides are splitting too hard to realize that it was an actual reference um, <laughs> because I'm hilarious uh, <laughs> I'm the hilarious chosen one um, check out our interview with Pat Chan yeah author of destiny new york he's a great guy uh, it was really cool of him to sit down with us uh t and i were super nervous and it probably comes through in the audio because we haven't done an interview before but uh it was fun it was really really cool he was a delight it was a great experience and th he gave us some really really cool uh insight into his experience so yeah. everybody should definitely go check that out so check that out but uh more coming your way have a good weekend i think i covered everything uh we love you thank you for listening and we will catch you back here for more cover, cover b. b bye everybody bye, -bye.